for tonight, our last message in Numbers. Remember, it's called In the Wilderness, Bamidbar, the Hebrew title, uh, to describe Israel's wilderness wanderings, from which we have been making uh, lots of practical application, and tonight will be no different. We will as well. Let me fill you in just a little bit. Way back in chapter 27, there was an incident with which Moses was confronted. It's this. Um, up until that time, the civil law uh, was such that if a man died, his real estate holdings would be inherited by his heirs, but they had to be males, not females. That was not permitted in that day. But there were daughters of a man who died, and they approached Moses, I uh, might add quite respectfully, and they wanted a judgment on this issue, and they said, can you consult, inquire of God on our behalf, for our father is deceased. Does this mean we have no share in this place of promise? Shouldn't we have a share in the land of promise? And Moses prayed, consulted with the Lord, and in some fashion we're not specifically told, the Lord spoke to him, gave him direction, and Moses uh, under the authority of God, said, you are right, absolutely. This is not a gender thing. Anybody who desires a place in the place of promise should receive it, male or female. And so, so they did. And they were called Zelophehad's daughters because their dad, his name was Zelophehad. And he was from the tribe of Manasseh or Manasseh. It, it, it was his tribe, and so that was quite an interesting event because the, uh, the law uh, given at that point to Moses did not address this issue. So there's a lot we could learn from that episode, not the least of which is this. Um, the truths in the scriptures do not change. Did you know that? I mean, everything is changing. It's such a fever pitch today. My goodness, your head spins. But the eternal absolute truths of Almighty God contained in Scripture do not change, you see. That's, you can count on, on them. But, but, but though that's the case, the outworking of the plan of God, the way the faith community uh, administratively conducts itself is very much subject to change. And so if, you, if you're someone a little burdened, as I am, about the fact that things are not the same today, even in church as they once were, in many cases that's not a good thing. In other cases, it's a very normal thing. Sometimes meetings are not done the same way. Policies are not done the same way. Administrative matters. Now, we dare not in any way a tamper with eternal truth, doctrine, and theology that the Lord has given us, but procedural matters, even in the time of the Bible, were very much subject to review. And so this is a case of what some people call progressive legislation. That is to say, the way God authorized for the community of faith to operate was legislated progressively over time. And so what happened in Numbers 27 is an incident. There wasn't a specific chapter and verse on it. Up until that time, it had to be, this matter had to be adjudicated. And it served others 
not just this man's daughters. It served other daughters, uh, frankly, down to this very day. So, so they were lawful heirs, though women, lawful heirs of their father's estate. Okay. Now, this being the case, another problem arose that uh, required Moses to, to, to decide on. And that's what we're going to read about, if you don't mind now, in verse 1 of the last chapter of chapter of Numbers 36, uh, verse 1. Let me read it to you. Uh, here's what it says. And the heads of the father's household, of the family of the sons of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh. See, so this is the tribe that Zelophehad was part of, and his daughters belonged to Manasseh as well. Of the families of the sons of Joseph, they came near, the, the heads of that uh, tribe, came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the heads of the fathers' households and uh, the sons of Israel. And they said, verse 2, The Lord commanded my Lord to give the land by lot to the sons of Israel. God told you, Moses, to give the land by lot to the sons of Israel as an inheritance. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of Zelophehad, our brother, to his daughters. So that's the episode I filled you in on that took place way back in chapter 27. Uh, verse 3, but if they, this man's daughters, if they marry one of the sons of the other tribes, there's 12 tribes, Manasseh is one, there's 11 tribes with potential male suitors for these gals, and I'm sure they were attractive, they had quite good character, and so here's the issue. If they marry one of the sons of another tribe, their inheritance, see, passed down from their father to them, their inheritance will be withdrawn from the inheritance of our fathers, it will pass from the tribe of Manasseh to the tribe of the groom who marries one of these gals, see? It'll be added to the inheritance of the tribe to which they belong by marriage. Thus, it will be withdrawn from our allotted inheritance. So this matter disturbed them. They said, well, you know, God, Moses, God told you, distribute land by lot. Every tribe had a certain parcel of land bequeathed to it, and Manasseh was one. But our land, given by God, administrated by you, Moses, is going to be diminished because these daughters, members of the tribe, if they marry outside the tribe, well, then their inherited land will pass to another tribe. And so our real estate in the land of promise, our place, our allotted place in the land of promise is going to be compromised. That's the, that's the issue. Now, to their credit, I suppose they could have taken the matter into their own hands and decided it for themselves, but once again, they quite submissively and respectfully sought the counsel of Moses and the other leaders, just as an, uh, a, a, a sidelight has really nothing to do with the main point, but but it occurred to me as I was reading this, you know, uh, uh, it's a good thing to get counsel before you make major decisions. See, that's what they did. Uh, I memorized this first. Uh, you might want to 
do so yourself. It'll keep you in check. I, try, I hope it keeps me in check. Proverbs uh, 13, verse 10. Through presumption comes nothing but strife. But with those who receive counsel is wisdom. If you're in a cult and you seek the counsel of the cult leader, you have no option but to submit to what he or she says. That's what, that's what a cult is. If you're in a church of Jesus Christ um, and you seek the counsel of uh, the ministers in the church, you're not obligated to follow it as if that's a cult leader. And if you don't, you're under church discipline. No, no, no. You get advice. You listen and you say, thank you for sharing. Then you go and pray about it and you make your own decision. That's the difference between a cult and a healthy community of faith. Uh, a, a lot of our time as ministers, I think I'm speaking uh, with regard to my fellow ministers here, a lot of our time, and we're glad to do it, but a lot of our time is spent helping folks who have made bad decisions and now are wondering, what do we, can you help us to know how to deal with the consequences? Don't misunderstand. We're glad to do it, but we wished... We, we wouldn't have to help you deal with the consequences of presumptuous decisions. Why don't you get advice before you marry that person? Why don't you get advice before you buy that whatever? Why don't you get advice before you quit your job and move to Zanzibar? Why don't you get advice before you? I mean, why not? Why not? Then you can just say thank you so much and you don't owe us more than a, res a response than that. You make your own decision before God, but at least get some input, get some advice. So to their credit, the leaders of Manasseh, at least before they rushed to judgment, at least they sought the counsel of the leaders in the church, including Moses. And so verse 4 says, when the jubilee of the sons of Israel comes, they're still speaking, jubilee, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe to which they belong, so their inheritance will be withdrawn from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. The year of Jubilee, you can read it sometime, it's in Leviticus chapter 25, took place every 50 years, and it was kind of based on a principle of reversion. Land would revert back to its original owner if the person had to mortgage it or something like that. God is just such a just God. It would be a time when the slate would be cleaned. Things would revert back to its original owner. But here the leaders of Manasseh are saying, but that won't be the case here because land transferred by marriage will not come back to us. It will remain in the hands of the new tribe who possesses it by marriage. So you see, this is their deal. All right. So here's what happens, verse 5. Then Moses commanded the sons of Israel... I know this sounds a little, what does this have to do with me today? Hang in there. We just got to lay the groundwork first. It's a little complicated, but I'm telling you, there's an application for us today. Hang in there. So then Moses commanded the sons of Israel, according to the word of the Lord, saying, the tribe of the sons of Joseph are right in their statements. This is what the Lord has commanded concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, let them marry whom they wish, only they must marry within the family of the tribe of their father. So the daughters of Zelophehad uh, were given free choice with regard to their husbands as long as 
the husbands they chose were not only members of the same tribe, but of the same family of the same tribe. Now, this restriction was not imposed on every woman in that day, only on those women who were heirs to their father's estate. You see? That's what's going on. So, verse 7, thus... No inheritance of the sons of Israel shall be transferred from tribe to tribe. No inheritance shall be transferred from tribe to tribe. For the sons of Israel shall each hold to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. Every daughter who comes into possession of an inheritance of any tribe of the sons of Israel shall be wife to one of the family of the tribes of her father, so that the sons of Israel each may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus, no inheritance shall be transferred from one tribe to another, for the tribes of the sons of Israel shall each hold to his own inheritance. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so the daughters of Zelophehad did. I think that's a wonderful way to soon come to a conclusion in this book. It's been a rather spotted chronicle of the ups and downs of Israel. Sometimes they were faithful, mostly they were unfaithful, and it's very wonderful of God to let us finish with this magnificently delightful note, uplifting note of five women who obeyed God, who did things God's way, who separated themselves from the rest of the Israelites, who distinguished themselves, perhaps by physical beauty, I don't know that, but more so by the beauty of the inner person of the heart. Uh, they were godly women, and they consulted of God. They wanted to do things God's way. And so their names are mentioned here again as they ought to be, as a tribute. Verse 11, their names are Mala and Tirza and Hogla and Milka. Uh, Milka, I have a sister whose middle name is Milka. Milka, she loves it. And, <laughs> and Noah... Uh, it's actually no ach. Anyway, the daughters of Zelophehad married their uncle's sons. Now, folks, these ladies manifested, I'm sure you agree, an amazing degree of self-restraint. They sublimated their rights for the greater good. You almost can't find it today. They did not assert themselves. You can't tell us who to marry and who not to marry. I have every right to marry. I can marry someone of the same gender if I want to. Who are you? You're not God's representative on earth. Who are you? Do you know somebody once said, if we had the situation uh, we had that led to World War II, we couldn't win it today, not because we don't have the resources to, but because we're so divided in a spirit of self-centered entitlements, give me my piece of the pie, I don't care about the common good, we probably couldn't get together against a common foe. This is very refreshing, therefore, to see what these five ladies did. Instead of asserting their rights and saying, hey, there's somebody in the tribe of Asher who I got a fancy for. You know, he's tall. Well, I couldn't be tall. He's a Jewish guy. But anyway, <laughs> two out of three. Dark and handsome. He's short, dark, and handsome. 
You can't tell me what to... They didn't do anything like that. They didn't do that. You know what's... You know what we are compelled to do, folks? This is going to be rough for us because we live in this culture and we're influenced by it. As we move on as a church and, and soon, as the Lord sees fit in marvelously beautiful, exhilarating surroundings, um, it could all be undermined with a self-centered spirit that asserts its rights instead of its responsibilities. Let's not do it like the world. I'm entitled. I'm entitled. How about instead, what could I do? What self-restraint could I exercise? I'm not preaching. I'm speaking to myself too. I got the same fleshly nature you do. But I, but I want to be like these ladies. Uh, I, I, and so I want to say, what self-restraint, Lord, must I exercise for the sake of the common good? I didn't hear what I want to hear. I didn't, I'm not sitting where I want to sit. I'm not, I mean, it's okay. We're entitled to these things. But would you, would we be right to let any of these things detract from the forward movement of the community of faith? There's so much at stake today, folks. Let's not bring the world in here. Let's take the gospel of Jesus Christ out there into the world. Let's be salt and light. Let's be the influencers, not the ones who are influenced by the ways of the world. I'm just so struck by the way these ladies sublimated their personal assertion of rights for the sake of the common good. It's going to be a marvelous facility that I know you agree the Lord has enabled us to, to, to have. And we don't want to compare the, the size of one person's iConnect class to another or the this or the that. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides. This is the, how the human race is divided. So you're in one group or the other. It's not a matter of probability. It's a matter of certainty. And if you're in the group that has the sun, that's all we need. Let's just have the sun. Don't worry about having everything that suits your fancy. If we do that, we're not going to be able. We won't face a common foe, Satan. Listen, we already have evidence that he's throwing stuff at us. We've got to be united in the battle. It's a spiritual battle against a common foe, and we are not to be each other's foes. That's not anyway. So I, I, I can't wait to meet Zelophehad's daughters and say, "Wow, you really raised, you raised the bar." So, verse twelve, they married those from the families of the sons of Manasseh, sons of Joseph, and their inheritance remained with the tribe of the family of their father. And verse 13, these are the commandments and the ordinances which the Lord commanded to the sons of Israel through Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho. That's how the book ends with this statement. All of these things we've been reading about in Numbers, these are the commandments and the ordinances which the Lord commanded. You know why God commanded all this stuff? Because he wanted to cramp their style. He wanted to yank their chain. 
He wanted to impose himself oppressively upon them. No. He gave them these guidelines by which to live because he wanted them to know he really cared about how they lived. He really is Heavenly Father, not absentee Dad. And he's such a loving, concerned Heavenly Father. He told them the right way to live and the wrong way to live. Do you know one of the worst things we're seeing today with an increasing incident of children growing up without dads? One of the things we're seeing is massive insecurity because nobody has set bounds and guidelines and disciplined as an act of love. I remember when I was a kid growing up in New York, my father was unavailable because he was mastered by alcohol. And I remember we used to hang out on the block, and every once in a while, one of the kids would say, I guess I got to go in now. My dad said, be in by 10. I used to think, man, I wish I had a dad who would tell me when to be in. I could have stayed out all night. My dad would not have known. That looked like freedom, right? It was horrible. I still struggle with the insecurities of it to this day. These are wonderful things, the Word of God. No, it's not to cramp our style. It's Abba, Father, saying, I love you. I know what's best. Father really does know what's best. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm not indifferent to the choices you make. Make these choices. This will be in your best interest. So that's how the book of Numbers ends. But I want to end, uh, and I won't belabor the point uh, if I can control myself, but I, I want to end on something which I think some of you have come to see to be a bit of a hobby horse of mine. But I want to, again, issue a disclaimer. I only talk about these things because it seems that God does what I'm about to talk about. So I'm not making this up. So for instance, could I call your attention once again to uh, something repeated three times in these verses? The first time in verse 7, for the sons of Israel, so I'm talking about Israel in case you didn't know, for the sons of Israel shall each hold to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. That's what it says. You can't exchange it. You can't sell it. You can't trade it. Hang on to it. Verse 8. So that the sons of Israel each may possess the inheritance of his fathers. That essentially says the same thing. Verse 9. The tribes of the sons of Israel shall each hold to his own inheritance. See it? So three times you have this concept. Which leads me to this. Why is it so important? God makes it very clear. It was not permissible for the uh, allotted place he gave each in the land of promise to be exchanged. It wasn't to be in doubt. <laughs> it was certain. He made it irreversible, unlosable, untradeable, unforfeitable. God legislated how the land would be parceled amongst the inhabitants of the land. And then God reiterates here, it's not up for grabs what I gave you. I'm telling you, 
It's going to be yours, even if you maybe get there kicking and screaming. It's going to be yours. You have my word on it. The land of promise is based on my promise. It's not based on your character, on your faithfulness, on your virtue, on your this or your that. And you're not permitted to give it away. I gave it to you. Now, why is that important to us? Oh, it has tremendous value to us as Christians. Because as God was with the inheritance he gave to Israel in their land of promise, don't you know that's how he is with regard to your place of promise? It's not real estate. It's better. It's heaven. You don't have to make it a matter of, I, are you going to heaven? Probably. Are you going to heaven? Certainly. How do you know? Well, I have the Word of God, and I see the character of God illustrated with Israel. It was a matter of certainty. In spite of them, He brought them through a wilderness journey. In spite of their unfaithfulness and all the rest, in spite of their proclivity, maybe even to exchange their birthright. No! God made sure they came into it. And don't you see, as he was and is with Israel, so too he is with you and me. If you ask me whether I'm sure of my salvation, I will tell you yes, uh, based on the word of the Lord. And I will tell you yes, based on the nature of the one who made the promise as illustrated in his transaction with Israel. He said you will occupy every bit of real estate I specifically designated precisely for each of you. It's not up for grabs. And that's such an encouraging for us because as God was, God is. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So I must inform you, because I feel it a responsibility, I must inform you of a dangerous tendency, not new, been around, but picking up new momentum in high places, theological, influential churches and all the rest. And the perspective says, since the Jews have been on so unfaithful, uh, to their Messiah, their Messiah has rejected them and therefore has withdrawn his promise of land. Now, I'm not going to mention names tonight, uh, which is my usual fashion, because I just feel soft and tender. <laughs> but I'm nervous because many in the body of Christ are coming under the influence of folks you would not suspect, now an evangelical, not liberal, evangelical circles. It's called replacement theology. God gave the land to Israel indeed, but he has replaced Israel and withdrawn the land because Israel has withdrawn from him. Now, here's the problem. That perspective makes perfect sense. If you operate by principles of fairness, 
it's not fair for the Jewish people to have a homeland today in light of their response to their God. It's not fair. They don't deserve it. That's right. But here's the problem with that thinking. God is not limited by principles of fairness. Do you know what he, he, uh, he operates by? A that's right. A principle of love, a principle of grace. That's, that's amazing grace. So the New Testament says, where sin abounds, uh, uh, grace superabounds. How do you know that? Look at Israel. Look at the Jews. The most spiritually privileged people on earth and the most stiff-necked, hard-hearted, insubordinate, and disobedient. I'm not in any way trying to defend my people. Don't misunderstand. I'm trying to defend the character of God as manifested through my people. Why? If there came a point when my people could out-sin the grace of God, you're next. Would you like to start over here and go around? And let's talk about the sins we've committed each in the last week. It'll be juicy. No one will look at the clock. <laughs> I know that the Lord Jesus will never let me go, even though at times I drift and turn my back on him. I know it because of the word of God, and I know it because of his historical response to my people. I have an illustration of the sin nature of humankind and the unbelievably merciful, gracious, yet uncompromisingly holy nature of Almighty God. I am assured of my salvation, not on the basis of my stick to righteousness, and good decisions. I'm assured of the assurance of my salvation on the basis of the grace and mercy of God who will get me into my place of promise, just as he did these people. Kicking and screaming, maybe. <laughs> the long way around, possibly. With lots of unnecessary travail and bumps in the road, I think so, sadly. But I'm making it anyway. And so are you. And I don't lay claim my place of promise on the basis of any good thing in me. I lay claim to it on the basis of the astoundingly gracious, merciful, reliable nature of God. In this very book, way back in chapter 23, it says, God is not man. Therefore, the principles by which we men and women operate don't apply to him. That's not right. That's not fair. That's not reasonable. That's right. It's all of grace. He's referred to as the God of all grace. God is not man, Numbers 23, verse 19, that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? There in the land, he fulfilled it. We're going to be in our place of promise too, on the same basis, the trustworthy character, not your character, not mine, the trustworthy character of Almighty God. If God has rejected the Jews 
and withdrawn the land from them, you have just forfeited a great basis for the assurance of your salvation. You see what's at stake? You see? So we're hearing this from high theological circles now, and I don't know if those people understand they're going to undermine the gracious character of God. They're making it a Middle East issue. It's not. It's the character of God issue. So anyway, uh, admittedly, Israel, my people, have been unfaithful to God. But he has been faithful anyway. What's the proof? May 14th, 1948. They're back in the land after 2,500 years. Can you tell me how many times that's happened in the history of humankind? Never. Never. Because God said, it's yours. I'll get you back in there. 2,500 years later, through pogroms and holocausts, they're in the land of Israel. And that's the number one reason why Israel's enemies will never make peace with her. Because Israel's enemies are inspired by the prince of darkness, the evil one, who cannot allow the existence of Jews in the land today because it proves what the point I'm, very, I'm telling you, the faithfulness of God. And Satan hates that. He wants worship. He doesn't want the Most High God to be worshipped. If you can exterminate the Jews, then uh, Satan can say, and you Christians are putting your faith in that God who wasn't strong enough to keep his promises with the Jews? What makes you think he's going to be strong enough to fulfill his promises with you? You see what's going on? That's why all this land for peace baloney and all this stuff that's being proposed from the White House and from the Kremlin and from the European Union, what? And from the biggest waste of real estate known to humankind, the United Nations? Those are the four entities seeking to broker peace in the Middle East, but they're all filled with darkness. They don't understand the reality is the scene behind the scenes. It's a battle between Satan and Savior. One time, God tested Moses, and he said, Moses, this people, your people, they're terrible. Look what they've done. I'm going to wipe them out and start a new group with you. You know what Moses said? No, don't do it. Because then the people will say, you weren't able, you weren't strong enough, you weren't good enough to bring these people forth. Moses knew, oh no, it's not about the Jews. It'll detract from your reputation. And replacement theologians are doing the same thing today. They're going to detract from the reputation of God. You should not be pro-Israel. In a political sense, you should stand by Israel's right to the land in a biblical sense because God's reputation is very much a function of Israel being in the land. So here's the parallel with us, folks. Listen to me. Um, you know, I take Thursdays off because I get so lathered up sometimes on Wednesday night. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Anyway, uh, forgive me. But I'm, I'm a little passionate about this. Um, you know, when God gave the land to Israel, you can read it. It's Genesis 12. It was free. I will give the land to your descendants. What'd they do to deserve it? Nothing. I will 
So it's without condition. They get the land. Later on, God gives another covenant with Moses, which says, here's the law. If you do it, you'll be blessed. If you don't do it, you won't be blessed. So that covenant is a, has conditions. The first covenant is, here's the land, no condition. The second one is, but you're not going to enjoy the land if you disobey me. That's what's happening in Israel today. The average Israeli is glad to be in the land, but they don't really, they're not free to enjoy the land. Are you kidding? You know how much of their effort is spent on waiting for the next war? Fallout shelters, military, this, that. The, I mean, it's, it's a siege mentality. It's just, and here's the parallel with us. Under the new covenant, God also made an unconditional covenant with you and me. He said, I will save you. <laughs> What'd you do to merit it? Nothing. You say, well, no, but I have to accept Christ. You don't get brownie points for accepting a gift. That's not no virtue. In, <laughs> it's an I will. The covenant under which we're saved is an I will. I will save you. <clears throat> and that's why you can't forfeit it because you you, there's no condition. <laughs> but the enjoyment of your salvation is very much a function of your obedience and mine. That's why the world is filled with miserable Christians who are not bearing fruit. Did they lose their salvation? No, I don't buy that. They didn't meet a condition to be saved. There's no condition by which you lose it. No, 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 they're saved, but they're miserable because they're uh, living as unsaved people. And so there's the parallel. Israel has the land freely, but, but they can't enjoy the land freely unless they obey. We are saved freely by faith, by God's grace in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's how we're saved. But the full enjoyment of it as heirs of salvation, you know how it is, is very much a function of whether or not we're obeying God or, or not. That's the parallel. If you twist it with replacement theology, then good night. You may be on the verge of losing your salvation. So I, I definitely am going to close with this now, I promise you. So I read this book called First Peter. It's really good. It's in the New Testament. And Peter was writing to Christians in, in Asia Minor, Turkey today. They were in, they were in bad shape. People hated them. They were persecuting them. They were turning against them. There's some parallels with us. In that sense, Peter wrote, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. If you're saved, you got saved by God's great mercy, which caused you to be born again. And then it says we're saved to a living hope, not the dead hopes, politicians. Oh, be careful, Rothberg. Living hope because it's based on the integrity of a living Savior. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? An inheritance. Ah, ah. So now we can connect with what we read in Numbers. The Jews got the inheritance, physical land, real estate. 
Now she's talking about the inheritance of new covenant people, us. Saved to an inheritance, look, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. There's the parallel to what we just read in Numbers. Reserved in the land of promise for you in spite of you. Now our inheritance reserved in heaven in spite of you. Peter can't describe heaven. You know why? Heaven's indescribable. So he just tells us what it ain't. He says it, 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 it isn't perishable. It's, it's imperishable. It isn't defiled. It's undefiled. It isn't temporary. It, it will not fade away. Peter says, your inheritance in heaven is not susceptible to destruction or defilement or decay, and it's been reserved in heaven for you by God. It's kept under his watch care. He has custodianship of your inheritance in mind, just as he did the Jews when they got into the land of promise. Nothing was permitted to undermine the certainty of their arrival in the promised land. And nothing can undermine the certainty of our arrival into possession of our full inheritance in our place of promise, heaven. Are you going to heaven? Probably. No! Certainly. Don't you want to be able to answer the question tonight that way with certainty? Zelophehad's daughters greatly desired a place in the land of promise. Do you? Do you? It would be wonderful as we conclude numbers if you would settle things with the God who wrote it. <laughs> if you would settle things and say, I would like to know with certainty of my eternity. I would like it to be in heaven with you, a place that is permanent and undefiled, not corrupted by the things which corrupt the world in which I now live, not corrupted by my own sin. Would you deliver me from a cruel taskmaster, the Jews set free from Egyptian taskmasters, me, oh God, pray this to him, me, set me free, would you, from a crueler taskmaster, my own sin, free me from it, would you please, come into my life, take up your abode, Help me through my wilderness journey to the place I can say now with certainty will be mine one day. I wish tonight you would take Moses, you see, was the interceder and deliverer for them. He's just a foreshadowing of the far better. Ooh, we'll get to this in Hebrews. The far better mediator and deliverer and redeemer is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's not a whole lot of rest in the journey, but boy, you rest when you arrive at the destination. Don't you want that ultimate rest? Don't you want to know of it with certainty? Jesus said, I am the way, the way, and the truth, the life. He said, nobody can come to the Father but by me. I beseech you, make today the day of your salvation by making today the day, the time during which you say, come into my life, Savior. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I have sinned like everybody else. 
And my sin will keep me wandering in circles in the wilderness, only guessing at what happens to me when I die. Instead, come into my life, Lord Jesus, so that I can remove the question mark with regard to my eternity and substitute an exclamation mark, saved, saved, gloriously saved by the blood of the Lamb. Nothing else can be answered with as much certainty. But if you accept Jesus as your Savior from sin, you will come into your inheritance one day, and you will love walking with him in this day until that day. Lord Jesus, so now we make our appeal to you that you would, in the power of your Spirit, Appeal to the hearts of anyone here tonight for whom the matter of eternity remains unsettled. It's so serious. By the moment we hear of someone's premature passing, we grieve, we hurt over it. But for some, the grief is not quite so intense because we know they know with certainty of the disposition of their essence. They'll be with you forever. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would, as you and only you can, that you would, by mercy, cause some, even here tonight, later on, privately, to be born anew with the hope of eternity. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming for that very purpose, to suffer, to die in our place, and then to rise up from it all so as to give us assurance that you will guide us into our final place of rest in due season. Oh, God in heaven, could it be possible that no one here tonight would leave without a measure of certain assurance that if he or she were to die tonight, They would be with you forever. Oh, God, would you please bestow that upon us tonight? This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.